Over 1 billion people view videos on YouTube each day. And every minute, over 300 hours of video are uploaded to the platform. That's 300 hours of video uploaded to YouTube by people across the globe every minute. To get a better understanding of what this means for the world's rapidly changing media industry, Ivy hosted an ideas night with Robert Kinsel, YouTube's chief business officer. Robert oversees all of YouTube's business functions, like sales, marketing, and strategy, and was previously the vice president of content at Netflix. Joining him for the conversation is Mani Pavan, the lead writer at YouTube. The two recently co-authored the new book, Stream Punks, YouTube and the Rebels Remaking Media. So I think it does help to be exceptional at something, right? At some type of a, an angle, something that there's a community around. And if you strike that, then what happens is not only the community talks and they tell each other, so you have word of mouth, but also algorithms pick that up. It's like you see, oh, there's another person who has similar taste. Maybe we should recommend it to them. And so it travels. In a live conversation moderated by Sarah Zapp, Ivy's Director of Strategic Relationships. Robert and Mani talk about how YouTube is changing the face of media and what's on the horizon for entrepreneurs and leaders in our hyper-connected world. Please enjoy our conversation with Robert Kinsel and Mani Pavan. This episode of the Ivy Podcast is brought to you by Zola, makers of the delicious all-natural coconut water and acai juice beverages. Zola lives for those who live the slash life the daily hustle to achieve passion slash profession slash play. Only you know your next move, and only Zola can fuel it with plant-powered hydration. To learn more, visit livezola.com. I'm going to start at um, the very end of your book. Robert, I'm going to throw this to you. And the very last thing you say in the book is, the truth is the world has never seen what YouTube is becoming. What is the world about to see? I don't know if the world will see it. <laughs> it's, uh, I think it's, it's really, YouTube is so large and so undiscovered because there's so much there and, and we pretty much have everything, you know, something for everyone, but you know, different people are exploring different interests. So you don't really know what interests Mani or what interests someone else that they're finding on YouTube, uh, you know, every single day. So it is, it is the most incredible collection of video uh, in the world and it keeps on growing. You know, when I started seven years ago, it was, uh, we were receiving 40 hours of video being uploaded every single minute and today it's at 400. So if you can just imagine the amounts of uh, content that's coming in and then, you know, we, a year ago we announced that we're streaming uh, a billion hours every single day. A billion hours every single day you're streaming. So, so if you just think about the statistics, there's so much going on with so many different types of interest that nobody really has a full understanding of what's there. And it's, uh, you know, there's just lots of undiscovered content uh, that other people are discovering, but nobody really has been able to put their arms around it and fully uh, understand it and express it and and I think the more and more people are consuming content and, and, and spending more time with it the more those stories will come to light and, and you know eventually I think people understand what's there but right now it's just uh, it just feels like this startup that's just getting a little bit bigger and, uh, <laughs> just a little and, bit bigger uh, and it feels that way for us working there which is great because it's it's more fun working for startups well I think you should both be very honest with our audience and the question we really want to know is have you watched a cat video? Well, well. I watched one today. Did you really? Well. 
So I'm amazed by the cat videos on so YouTube. Today, today there was an announcement that uh, one of our uh, original movies, uh, it's an original documentary about a cat called Kedi. It's a Turkish, it's a documentary about a Turkish cat. And, uh, and it, was nom it was released on YouTube Red, which is our subscription service. And it's nominated for Critics' Choice Awards for like five different nominations. Well, there so, you go. Uh, there you go. Got to give some love to those yeah. cat videos. All <laughs> Full right. Full circle, exactly. <laughs> well, one thing when you talk about the reach of YouTube videos, we were talking about Despacito. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Amazing. you wanted me to sing that? Oh, I love it. <laughs> Where's Justin Bieber when you need him? No, right? no, it's, um, but but the views that that has gotten has broken records on yeah, all yeah, platforms. It's, it's the most viewed video on YouTube, and um, and it's rising, continues to rise. It's so popular, and this is the one. You know, we were talking about virality in the in the back before. And uh, this is one of those that has an amazing video, has an amazing song, it's an amazing artist who has been around for a long time, had great following, and it just all hit, and and the recommendations just kicked in because so many people started to like it, and it just it's flying, and it's amazing. So it, it's great, it's amazing that you know our biggest video before was uh, from Psy, uh, from South Korea, another one is from Latin America. It's it's all you know the the power of open. Uh, platform is showing that great content can come from anywhere and the things that are dominating are from outside the United States. It's pretty amazing. Really amazing. Uh, so talk to me a little bit, Monty, when he came to you and you were figuring out the title for this, where, where string punks came from and what we're really talking about that that represents when we look at content creators. Sure. Um, so I had come up with a, a number of really bad, really long titles. <laughs> and I remember this meeting perfectly. Uh, Robert, you know, I, I pitched some of these, these titles to him, and Robert was like, you know, these are all pretty long. You know, are you really going to tell your friend, oh, you read that great new book, uh, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> and he said, you know what's a great title? Uh, Cable Cowboy. And then he walked out of the room. And uh, Cable Cowboy, if you don't know, is a great book about John Malone and sort of the rise of the cable TV industry. And it really kind of encapsulated that book, I think, in a, in a great way. When we thought back about what our book really is, our book is a collection of these really incredible creators, incredible uh, media personalities, incredible business people who use our platform to really change the way Hollywood has typically worked. And so, you know, we, we kind of went through and used that cable cowboy construct and we thought about streaming video and we thought about rebels and, you know, uh, uh, just people who sort of push boundaries and punks was just a really natural fit. And uh, it plays nicely off steampunk, if any of you are familiar with that genre. Um, yeah, it just kind of stuck. Robert, th uh, this is how the New York Times described the book. String Punks tells the story of a multicultural cast of video creators who have outsmarted the media's white male gate gatekeepers to build the next wave of television, enlightening and empowering viewers with their intimate, straight-to-the-camera dispatches. Correct. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> you bring up some of the biggest known names that are YouTube sensations from Tyler Oakley, Lily Singh, to great players in, in, in media and entertainment, Jeffrey Katzenberg, Scooter Braun, uh, Brian Robbins. What was the most impactful story that you thought really epitomizes what's going on right now with the changing face of media? 
Oh, I'll tell you mine and Mani will tell you his. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, so mine is Jenny Doan. It's the uh, chapter on quilting. If you haven't read the book, uh, or if you won't read the entire book, read one chapter, uh, which is Stick to Your Quilting. Is that chapter seven? Chapter seven. And, um, and, it, and it's about this lady in her 50s who just uh, she loved quilting. And one day her son decided to record her and he asked her, hey, would you like to make a tutorial? She's like, I don't know what tutorial is, but sure, I'll do it. And so they did a tutorial on making a quilt, and then he uploaded it to YouTube. They had a horrible internet connection over there. It took like overnight to upload a video um, because their cable service over there is horrible. And, um, and then he started to look at the statistics and started to see that they're getting a lot of views. So they just kept on doing it over and over and over. And they live in Hamilton, Missouri, where um, the town basically has kind of been destroyed and, and uh, there's lots of unemployment and no real economic activity. And fast forward a few years, uh, Jenny and her Missouri Star Quilt Company now own 14 buildings in the town, uh, of which many are stores. You, you know, there's one main store. Inside you have different verticals for different types of quilts. And then there's a store for each of those verticals where you can go really deep. They have a man cave because when all the, all the uh, men are coming with their wives who go there for quilting, they have <laughs> nothing to do, and they so they always nag them to like leave early. So they built one this great place for them to hang out, and uh, and they have uh, a center for for um, I don't want to call it offsites. What, 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 what is it in real world? For uh, for yeah for retreats right then people come there for the weekend to hang out and make quilts and it's basically a creativity company and when you look at their warehouse it's like the first Netflix DVD shipping warehouse it's this massive thing right outside town that is uh, very highly automated and they they run the whole company like an amazing internet company and um, when you look at it you're there you feel like you're in a in a, on a you know at Universal Studios on a backlot it's like a movie set. And, and you have people coming in from out of town, from Japan, and... So how long did it take Jenny doing videos before this really started to get big? It, 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 was, not, it was not that long, it was just a few years. But they, what they struck is they, they realized that they're creating this great demand and there are a lot of people like watching it. And what they like to do is buy supplies. They don't want to buy the finished things because people like doing it themselves. But they loved the fact that she showed them how to do it which supplies match with what and so it was basically just like following it's kind of like following a chef right like when, when they do something so then they decided to start selling the supplies to people so they're shipping thousands of packages every single day and uh, you know they worked up to it and uh, so now they just have this amazing commerce business so there's the ad revenue from youtube there's amazing commerce and you know there's the stores you know they're selling in stores they're she would just online. sit there and quilt and that's and, how she gained? Well, she, it's actually quite fun. Like, you should just go and check it out on YouTube. <laughs> and, but uh, but, it's, but she's, she's there and she's, she's telling people how to do it. She now became quite good at tutorials. Right? And, and they have a genius bar at the end of the store where you know, people sit there. How old and, is and, she? But, but um, um, she's probably in her late 50s now. Late 50s? And, um, and, and, or 60s, yeah. And um, you know, they have their genius bar and people sit there and they watch her make quilts. So, so it's, you know, it's just they tapped into a passion that people are just crazy about. They're willing to spend a lot of money on it, and, and, and it makes them happy. And, and so just looking at that, this is not a, 
you know, 20 or 30 year old, some, some uh, you know, a person with great education from San Francisco, uh, you know, creating or an app. In a or, or doing something, right? This is, uh, you know, someone, uh, you know, in their 50s in misery doing quilting and using our platform to revitalize town and, and make people all around the world, you know, happy, you know, who are, who are uh, you know, doing what she does. So it's, it's just a very heartwarming story. Like when we went there, it was like, all right, Monty, to try and top that story. All right, top that, Monty. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. He wanted to say that one, too. <laughs> That's definitely the chapter to read, and I think uh, it's an incredible story, and everything Robert said is true. I mean, this this one company that built, that treated this niche very, very well and built this massive business is the largest employer in four surrounding counties. It's growing like crazy, and I mean, getting back to the point about being a global platform, if you try and build a quilting store in a you know 100-person town that's been devastated by recession, you're not going to have much luck. If then you expand that, uh, what they're able to do to the rest of the world, there are enough enthusiasts out there that now they have busloads of people coming every day from around the world. When I when we were there, there were people from China, there were people from Japan, there were people from Virginia. I mean. Coming every day as a total. So that's incredible. Very quick, the, the one chapter I'd say also that I think was fascinating to kind of read and write. Uh, there's a creator named Swoozy. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Swoozy, but he's a guy who's done a lot on YouTube. He interviewed President Obama last year. And I think a lot of the rap that these YouTube creators get is that their flashes in the pan, viral videos, overnight success, you know, just kind of a cat video phenomenon. When you actually look and listen to them about the strategies they have, about how they think about their content, about how they design it, about the thumbnails they use, about how they reach their audiences, it's, it's fascinating. It is so thoughtful and so strategic. And this whole overnight success mantra that I think a lot of people are very quick, especially a lot of people in Hollywood are quick to apply to them, is just, it's a fabrication. I mean, these guys have been working for years on this. I, I want to kind of go off that point about what makes a successful content creator. And I hear you talking a lot about niche content, uh, you know, in, in, in quilting, for example. How important do you think it is, especially when people are trying to, to start off and become great content creators, that they go really specific rather than trying to appeal to, to too many people at once? It's, it's certainly the thing that works on the internet well. Um, because because of like this this misery star quilt company example is a great one right if the demand funnel was only the, the town there would be no business because the demand funnel through YouTube became the world it was a big business because Jenny collected all the enthusiasts from around the world and sold them merchandise and brought them into the town right? so um, the same just if you take away the commerce and if you just like are creating videos the same is true. Uh, same is true online. So, so I think it does help to be uh, exceptional at something, right? At some type of a an angle, uh, something that there's a community around. And and if you strike that, then what happens is not only the community talks and they tell each other, so you have word of mouth, but also algorithms pick that up, right? Whether it's ours or other platforms, like it just it's just how it works. Like you see, oh. There's another person who has similar taste. Maybe we should recommend it to them. You know, the algorithm does it, and so so it, it, it travels, you know, better. And uh, the the trick is how do you 
how do you become big enough so that you don't remain in a small niche, right? That, that you can keep on expanding and, 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 and getting larger. So, so I think that at some point that becomes the challenge for every creator. They say, well, I want to get bigger and bigger and bigger, but they, they may have maxed out in their niche. And then either they have to pivot in their programming strategy or stay in that, and then they develop something else next to it. It all, it all, it all depends on their strategies. And it goes back to what Bonnie was saying, is all of them are incredibly thoughtful. They think about this every single day. Uh, they, you know, in my opinion, they, they behave well above their age. Because they, you know, when you're on camera every day or every couple of days, you think about the way you look, you think about what you say. Uh, when you're editing yourself all the time, you see yourself all the time. So you just become so self-aware about everything. So when you talk to the creators, you really like, it, it feels like as if they all went to a therapy session, right? Like they, you know, because they're just like really well articulate about, you know, who they are, how they portray themselves, how they feel about certain things, how, what they, you know, what their audience is, what it isn't. Like everything is just thought out. It's like none of it is accidental. It's just like everybody is, is just, you know, doing it for the passion and for the business. So it's cool. It's a very impressive. Well, when you have a platform like YouTube, it can be a, a beacon of light and connectedness for communities that are maybe oppressed or, or underrepresented, you know, LBGTQ communities or, you know, women empowerment in the Middle East. But how do you handle that when people use this same platform for negative purposes and domination and, and other things that we see in headlines that, that scare people. How do, you, how do you handle offering that media platform in the way that we go forward in the future? Yeah, so it's, it's obviously that's a great challenge for all open platforms, right? For, uh, and you know, when, when I say uh, you know, anybody can publish and reach this audience, it could mean good people and also it could mean people with uh, less good intentions. So what we've done, so we've been doing this for uh, 12 years now, you know, YouTube's almost uh, 13 year old, and uh, and uh, what we've done is we've developed a uh, an incredible uh, network of uh, community uh, flaggers, and these are people out there. These are trusted sources out there, and people. These are volunteers, so similar to Wikipedia. You know, when people manage their Wikipedia pages, uh, that they're flagging uh, content that is uh, in there. Uh, you know, in their um, opinion, uh, not appropriate and violates community guidelines because we have published community guidelines on YouTube. And so they become sort of the, the narrowing funnel for us so that then uh, people at YouTube dedicated to reviewing that, they can see what's been flagged by community, uh, community flaggers and then we review it and apply our policies. So it's, uh, it's kind of a Wikipedia-like system. And, uh, and that, is, that is really the way that you can manage uh, large-scale uh, enterprise. Like. When, when going through and, and looking at a lot of these uh, different stories, uh, I liked how you talked about Scooter Braun. You know, he's a major music um, artist, uh, excuse me, manager out there. He manages Justin Bieber, Kanye West, um, a real innovator in that department. And, and you brought him up to speak at CES, and he said, I'm a living example of how YouTube changed my life. He discovered Justin Bieber on YouTube. How do you, when, when someone like that, how do you see YouTube changing people's lives going forward? Um, I think there will just be many more scooters. 
um, because uh, you know, it really with him it happened quite a long time ago when you, when you think about it. Justin's longevity is incredible. It, it, it doesn't happen these days that somebody blows up this young and lasts this long. And he really, and he's get, went through his ups and downs and Scooter's been around to guide him through all of it. But it's incredible how long uh, he's lasted. So when you think about when, when Scooter discovered him, YouTube was small compared to what it is now. So whoever's the next Scooter now is tapping into one and a half billion users. And you know, so it's everything they do is bigger and faster today. So, so I think the impact is just going to be on more people. Uh, and, and there's just going to be more and more of these stories. You know, we could probably publish a book uh, you know, every year and eventually every month just detailing the stories of these folks and it will just never run out of stories because you can just go all around every kind of vertical, different countries. There's just so many stories everywhere. Like one, I have one great example. Um, I don't have a specific person uh, to name now, but there, there are women in Saudi Arabia who uh, build business on YouTube because you know they couldn't drive uh, to work anywhere, right? So uh, so they were just building, you know, they were doing arts and crafts, and and became very popular, and you know generating revenue from all around the world the same way Jenny Doan is doing from Misery. So uh, you know, so you have there's millions of stories like this, and uh, so it is just it's very rewarding for us to travel around the world when we go in business and visit our teams. We have offices and many different locations around the world and when we go see them we always see you know creators and our partners so we hear a lot of these stories and we meet them and, and see how how it changes their lives and it's it's just incredible um incredible to see yeah if i can just jump in i think um i think we kind of take for granted how advanced our our media is in america and i think when you ask the question of what are the what does the future look like there are so many media markets around the world where they don't have TV, right? They don't have necessarily the cable infrastructure that we have here. And so their first experience with media is YouTube. There's an amazing story in India right now. One of our fastest growing creators is a food channel. This grandson started talking a lot about grandmothers, say, started filming his grandmother making household recipes that she always used to make. She's 106 years old, and she's one of the fastest growing biggest channels in India right now. So the scooter run of tomorrow may be in Los Angeles, but it could just as easily be in Mumbai or somewhere else. And I think that's what's really exciting is seeing how this is taking shape in other markets. And I have one more, one more to add, uh, which was, uh, no, no, no. But it, it's just like how it connects, you know. Uh, um, I was in, uh, in Jordan, in Petra, uh, a few years ago and uh, with my family. And we kind of got there a little bit late, so we you know, we got all the, you know we kind of go down the hill all the way, uh, all the way down, and it kind of got late. It was like wow, now we have to walk all the way up. And there was this little kid who had a whole bunch of donkeys over there, and we're like, oh, why don't we just rent those donkeys and ride back up on the donkeys? So so we did that, and then you know, and the kid didn't really speak too uh, you know English too well. Not that I spoke Arabic, uh, and uh, and. But you know, we, we just kind of we try to talk about things, and 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 I mentioned YouTube, and he was like YouTube, and then he quickly went to his phone, and he's you know we're riding on donkeys, and he puts it up and he starts playing Gangnam Style while he's riding <laughs> on the donkey, <laughs> and it was like the cra I, I took the picture of him and a, and a video, so it was like the craziest scene, you know, like in Jordan with YouTube and playing Gangnam Style while he's riding a donkey. And, and it was just like, you know, 
it just like you realize through that we're all the same, right? We like you know very similar things, and um, and to him that's like it was that's his TV, and, right? And to think now at this point in your career, Robert, to, to be at the apex of creativity and, and content creation when you know you came from a place in the, in the Czech Republic where there was yeah. no creativity. You had to get a license for music to, to play. Yeah. You saw your very first um, movie, Terminator that was horribly dubbed. Um, there was nothing literally on the TV. What do you think about that experience made you end up literally creating an entire profession around creativity? Um, so it wasn't, so yes, I grew up in, in uh, Czechoslovakia, it used to be called then, now it's, then it became Czech Republic, now it became Czechia. So in my lifetime, the country's name changed three times. <laughs> and, uh, but. Uh, so I, I grew up there under uh, communism, so uh, we were cut off from you know, the, the Western world. And um, there were two TV channels and a few radio stations, and the TV channels were operated by the government. So you can imagine the programming wasn't all that hot. And, um, and there was creative industry, but everything was censored. Kind of think like North Korea, but not as extreme. But like sort of in that direction, North Korea right? Yeah, yeah, North Korea light, exactly. That's right. And uh, and and um, um, you know. So were you were that rebel kid trying to, to find content? Not really, because you don't really know what else is out there, right? So you don't know what you're missing at all. So it just seemed like okay, I guess this is what it is, right? And uh, but then somebody would bring when when v, uh, when uh, VCR came around. Right, so suddenly there are a few VCRs. Not too many people had them. I'm not sure but, if half the people in this Oh, VCR. Members. Yeah, it's like a tape you put in. It's like it's very clunky, and you play videos on it. There was a company called Blockbuster that rented you tapes. <laughs> and uh, so when that came around, um, suddenly somebody would say, "Oh, I have this movie from America." I was like, "Oh, really? Yeah, let's watch it." And you know, back then, somehow somebody would smuggle one VHS tape in, and then one person would voice over every single character, right? <laughs> and then they would copy it and sell it to people. So, but you can imagine if you bought like the, the 500th copy, it was just such a degraded quality, it was horrible, right? But, but we just like, we loved watching it. So the first movie that we got like this was Terminator. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, so we just like uh, kept on watching it, and and um, so it was like the first thing, and then the second thing was Amadeus. At that time, it was Czech director who left Czech Republic, you know, illegally, and, and then won an Oscar. So it was totally banned in Czech Republic; nobody could watch it. So we all watched it this way, and you had to, do, you know, but you had to do it in secret, right? So you know, so when you when you start thinking, and 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 more importantly, we used to listen to news on radio. It was Radio for Europe and Voice of America, which were broadcast from uh, um, uh, Western Germany into Czech Republic. And then our government would scramble it as much as they could so that we couldn't really hear it well. And uh, so we would listen on transistor radio. Again, you guys, for you guys who don't know that, it's like these, these rabbit ears come out of the radio and <laughs> you tune it. And, um, and we would listen to two things. One, there would be news and there would be music. So like Scorpion and Bon Jovi and all these, <laughs> and, uh, and, and news. And it was completely different news than what you would see on TV and radio in Czech Republic. So anyway, so we're growing up like this and eventually I end up here, you know, after the revolution. And um, I didn't come to YouTube because of that. But like working here, then you start realizing like what impact it has on lots of places around the world where these freedoms don't exist. 
And, and for me, it's like a second meaning to our job. And for a lot of people, it's, it's not just because I come from there. I appreciate it a little bit more than, you know, than other employees uh, because I didn't have it when I grew up. But it's, it is sort of the second bottom line that we have, right? There is the financial one and then there's the social one. And, and the freedom of information and freedom of expression is really important. And, um, and it generally causes really good things in the world. So, so we, we spend a lot of time on that, and um, it's, you know, it goes way beyond entertainment. So when we struggle at work, when we have a hard quarter, we're planning for next year, we have all these projects, we're busy, 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 and you say, oh, this is so hard, then you always think about, wow, but look what we're doing. Right? It's not just about fun, it's not just about sugar, it's also about some broccoli right? that comes with it. And, so, so we, we like that a lot. Great stories that Robert had and, and experiences and, and your inside work at, at Google. What was your one epiphany or takeaway after writing this book and hearing so many stories and really, you know, taking a, a look at the, the rise of you know, rebellion in, in media? What was your one takeaway from this experience of writing this book? So it's, it's a good question. I think it's changed uh, since the book has come out, since we've seen some of the reception to the book. I think when I was writing it, it was uh, much more about the creative community and just how much these guys work, some of the stuff we mentioned earlier, and just some of the wonderful stories. Real quick aside, this is I haven't even told you the story. I learned this weekend there was a 10-year-old kid in Fort Wayne, Indiana, who learned how to code video games in Korean by watching YouTube. He <laughs> doesn't speak Korean, no one in his family speaks Korean. Anyway, that in fact is wonderful. Um, I think what we're seeing right now uh, within tech in general and within media in general is, and the New York Times review actually did a good job of talking about this, which is, um, there is there is a lot of focus of how the internet can be used in, in negative ways right now. I think there's a lot of worthy attention on that. The question is, what is the balance? And I think what we really try to explain in this book and, and what has really hit home for me in the reception to this book is that the balance is so positive in terms of what a platform like YouTube can bring to all of these creators that we talked about, to all the examples that we're bringing forward, and, and just the value it sort of can place in people's lives to the kids in you know, the Czech Republic of today that Robert was talking about, the value it sort of places there. And I think that's been um, that's been amazing to hear. Like I see some of the tweets in India, people who've read this book, and just kind of what those stories really represent to them. And I think that's been. I have one other thing actually that I forgot to mention <laughs> on this topic, which is uh, I was in Cuba a couple of years ago, and um, uh, and one night, you know, and there's no internet, right, except for like five places, uh, you know, the hotel that we're staying in and a few other uh, government places. Uh, it's very slow too. And, um, and so no, it's kind of very similar, kind of flashbacks to my, me growing up, right? Like it's kind of similar setup, um, you know, not enough uh, information. And uh, one day my wife and I were coming back from dinner, coming to the hotel, and I see all these people, this is, you know, at night dark, there's all these people around the hotel, and, um, and we're like, look oh, what's happening? And, and I see, uh, you know, they're with their phones, and they're with their computers, and, uh, so it was clear that they're on the internet. And, uh, and so, you know, they must have gotten the Wi-Fi code from somebody in the hotel and they're hopping on and they're literally just by the wall of the hotel, you know, on the ledge and like on the, on the window and they're just like looking things up. So I was like, oh, I gotta see what they're like doing. 
And you know, it was kind of like a funny scene because there's a lot of them. They were just like these really big guys with tattoos everywhere. So like it was a crazy scene, and um, and half of them were on YouTube. Um, maybe like 25% of them were on Facebook, and another 25% on WhatsApp. That's uh, that was the coverage, <laughs> and um, and the guys on WhatsApp. They were texting, uh, they were uh, messaging their families in Miami to send them money by Western Union. Uh, the ones on Facebook, they were kind of like more catching up on like what their families were doing and extended families, et cetera. And uh, you know, the, face, uh, the WhatsApp thing was more like very directly, it was like, send me $100 you know, tomorrow. <laughs> and, uh, and then the ones on YouTube were really interesting. There was one that was looking up just all soccer clips with Cristiano Ronaldo. He's a, a huge fan. Another guy, this is the guy that had just tattoos everywhere, and he was looking for inspiration for tattoos in music videos from rock stars. So he was just constantly looking for music videos and, and listening. So he's like playing the music or he's listening, but while they're doing other things, and he's like looking for the tattoos and, and the musicians. There was a guy who was uh, looking up, he, he had a, a clothing business, and he was looking up different techniques of making clothes, so he was kind of more in the how-to section. And then there were other people that were like on news channels. There was like uh, uh, the, the UK, uh, BBC uh, Worldwide, uh, et cetera. And there were oh, BBC News and Sky News, et cetera. And they were looking those up. So it was, it was amazing. And I realized at that moment that what the transistor radio was to me, that window to the world, that's what YouTube was to them. Except their window is like giant. Right? It's amazing. But it was the same thing. It was just like, here's that window to the world that I can, you know, for me it was more like an ear, right? Through the transistor radio for them. It's like they could see, see things. And that's where all of it connected for me. I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is what we're doing. And, you know, and obviously it's happening a whole bunch of other places around the world. So it's, it's, it's cool. Wonderful. Put your hands together, Robert Kinsel. And Monty that's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired. This episode of the Ivy Podcast is brought to you by Zola, makers of the delicious all-natural coconut water and acai juice beverages. Zola lives for those who live the slash life, the daily hustle to achieve passion slash profession slash play. Only you know your next move. And only Zola can fuel it with plant-powered hydration. To learn more, visit livezola.com.